You're listening to the Bonfire Podcast, fanning the flames of the gospel to the ends of the world. Come on, let's dive into the Word. Well, welcome to the Bonfire Podcast, everyone. We are glad that you are joining us for another episode. If you are listening and haven't had the chance to do so, I'd ask you to subscribe and download our content on a regular basis. You can do that by going to any of the podcast applications and hitting that subscribe button, and you'll get those episodes uh, downloaded directly to your device um, every week when we release them. Every week we release on Sunday evenings at 8 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. And so, as always, I'd like to encourage you also to go over to our Facebook page and uh, to join the conversation there, uh, to like and follow and share those episodes uh, for with uh, your friends there on the Facebook page to help us get the information out. And then lastly, um, of course, like for you to uh, email us at bonefireministries at gmail.com. I'd love to hear from our listeners, hear a little bit about you, where you're, you're listening from, and um, we'll give you a shout out here on the air uh, when we get that email as well. And Dad, I guess I have one more call of action uh, for our listeners uh, this week. Well, I guess two more, really. Um, one is uh, that we really want you to tell a friend about the Bonefire Podcast, and we're getting ready to start a new a series in this particular episode. And and so um, I'm going to say tell a friend, but also study with a friend, right? I think the, the, the series that we're getting ready to go into would lend itself well to being studied with someone. Maybe it's someone that you guys listen to it independently, maybe on your way to work, but you have lunch together and you take a few minutes of your lunchtime to talk about uh, the podcast and what you heard and what you learned and what you read. Um, I think that would be great. So I'd encourage you to, to, to find a good a partner, uh, someone that you can study with. Maybe it's your spouse, maybe it's a friend, um, maybe a coworker, whoever it may be, and hook up with them and, and let's study the Word together. That's what we want to do is to get people in the Word, studying more, learning more, and growing um, in their relationship with Christ. That's that's the whole goal. And I guess the last call of action, Dad, is that I want to go ahead and let our listeners know this will be the, I guess, the last episode that we will release prior to you having surgery. You'll be having surgery yeah. at the end of next week. That's right. And so I want to just encourage all of our listeners, if you would, lift um, Dad up in prayers uh, for his surgery uh, that'll be coming up. Um, we'll record another episode, I think, just prior to your surgery. So they'll hear your voice one more time. Um, and then we'll probably have a maybe a guest host that will join us maybe for a week or two, mm-hmm. uh, depending on how, how quick you can recover. And then we'll get you back in here and, and join the conversation. So that's right. I uh, just encourage uh, everyone uh, to, to pray and uh, for a safe surgery and a quick recovery. Thank you. I appreciate that. I need it. Yes. All right. Perfect. Well, uh, listeners, we're going to start a new study, as I've already referenced, a new series. And this series is going to be entitled Rejoice Always. Rejoice Always. And and this will be a study going through the book of Philippians, the book of Philippians. Now, the the great thing about the book of Philippians, Dad, as I was looking at it and and studying is the book of Philippians is a, is a relatively short book. It's, right. it's easy to read, uh, but it's got a lot of practical applications in it. Uh, some things that you can just pull from there and apply to everyday life. And right. and that's uh, what makes for a good Bible study for a podcast um, is, is something that is easily used, right? That's right. And so uh, that's the good thing about uh, Philippians here. Before we jump right into our text and, and the scripture, I think it's important to understand the background uh, to this book and to give us some context under which the scripture was written. You know, the book of Philippians is is actually it's in the form of a letter, as many of the epistles are. Um, 
and it was written to the church at Philippi. It was written by by Paul while he was imprisoned or under house arrest in Rome. And we'll see as we study uh, the text today that Paul had a special place in his heart for this church. The church at Philippi was actually located in, in the city of Philippi and was founded by the Apostle Paul on his second missionary trip uh, many years earlier. The story of this church's um, founding is, is pretty amazing, and actually I would encourage all of our listeners to go back and to look at uh, Acts chapter 15 there at the end. I think it starts around verse 36 and going into and to chapter 16. You can find the, the, the story of this church actually forming there on Paul's second missionary trip. So I'll give you the highlights here. So basically, Paul had this strong desire. He wanted to go, and he wanted to go toward Asia. Mm-hmm. And uh, that was where he wanted to go, but uh, many times what we want to do and what God wants to do is sometimes two different things, right? And so right. the doors kept getting shut on him, and so he uh, decided to go, uh, following the the guidance of the, of the Spirit, to go in a different direction. And while he was traveling, he he got what we refer to as the Macedonian call, mm-hmm. and uh, he had this vision, this dream, and it was of a person, uh, a Macedonian man, and was saying, "Come, come, preach the word here." Mm-hmm. And so uh, Paul took that as that's you know the work of the Spirit saying. That that's where I need to go. Right. So he took off to Macedonia. And at Macedonia, one of the primary cities or the premier city in that area was Philippi. Mm-hmm. And so that's where he went. He went to Philippi and he got started to work right as soon as he got there. Philippi didn't have a synagogue mm-hmm. uh, because I think at the time there was a rule about the number of Jews that had to be present in order to have a synagogue. Especially and, men. Especially men, right? Yeah. And so um, they didn't, I guess, meet that criteria. So there wasn't right. a house of worship, but there were still Jewish believers there and they met on the bank of the river. And so uh, when Paul arrived, he said, well, that's where we're going to go. We're mm-hmm. going to go there first. And he began to, to preach and minister right there on the river. And there's a lady who was there, um, and her name was Lydia. If you read the story, you'll hear that she was the seller of purple cloth, so she was a well-to-do woman. Mm-hmm. And uh, Paul preached the gospel of Jesus Christ there, and ultimately she received Christ, and she took Paul and uh, and Silas, who was with him, and they went to her house, and he preached there, and her whole household yeah. um, accepted Jesus Christ. And so that was really the first converts that we see at the Church of Philippi was right. Lydia. Dad, I, I saw a Another uh, conversion encounter that happened is that as Paul and Silas were working around in in the city, there was a uh, a slave girl um, mm-hmm. who was a fortune teller. Now mm-hmm. she was a fortune teller because she was the Bible tells us possessed by an evil spirit, mm-hmm. and so she began to kind of go behind Paul and Silas, and she was saying, you know, it was almost heckling, but she was saying, you know, these are ministers of the Lord on high. And I like the word that was used in the Bible. It said Paul got annoyed. (laughs) You know, uh, the Bible could have used a a different term, a more polite term, but it was just straight up and said Paul got annoyed at this girl because she was in the background yelling all the time. Right. And so he turned around and he cast out the demon uh, in the name of Jesus and it came out from her. Mm-hmm. At that time, and and ultimately, we believe that she had a conversion experience because of that mm-hmm. experience. But what happened is that her her master said, "Wait a minute! Now she no longer no longer has the powers that she once had, and so mm-hmm. you're messing up my revenue stream." Right. And so he called the magistrate and had Paul and Silas thrown in jail. And tell tell our listeners what happened when old Paul and Silas were in jail, Dan. Well, uh, like I said, uh, her masters were instrumental in stirring up. Uh, problems for Paul and Silas, and they were arrested, put in jail, and they were cruelly beaten, and then they were brought before the magistrate. 
Now, Paul and Silas were accused of upsetting the whole city and opposing the Roman Empire. Certainly a great exaggeration. Well, being bound by chains in jail, Paul and Silas, during the night, began to pray and sing. And while they were praying and praising, the jail they were in began to shake as a result of an earthquake, causing the jail door doors swing open and their chains to loosen. And when the jailer who was asleep was aroused by the earthquake, he saw the jail doors open and supposing that his prisoners had escaped, he drew his sword and was about to kill himself when Paul called out telling him to not harm himself because they were all still there. The jailer then called for a light and fell down before Paul and Silas. Then bringing them out of jail, he asked them, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? And they told him, Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and you will be saved, and your entire household. You know, that word believe is not just talking about uh, just easy head knowledge. It means to trust, to put your full trust in, a trust that's going to lead to obedience, uh, to trust and obey. Well, that night, the jailer took Paul and Silas to his home, And Paul and Silas shared the gospel with this jailer's entire family, and they all accepted Christ and were baptized. Now listen, you men out there listening to this podcast ministry, perhaps you're not a Christian today. Your family's not serving God either. Hey, maybe it will start with you, just like with the jailer, the head of the family, giving your heart to Jesus. And then your family will see how God has changed you, and they all too will want that and receive Jesus. Well, the next morning, Paul and Silas appeared before the magistrates and informed them they were Roman citizens and they had been beaten and imprisoned unlawfully. And hearing this, the magistrates became afraid and asked them to depart from the city. Paul and Silas then left the jail and went to Lydia's house where their fellow Christians were at and encouraged them before they left Philippi and moved on. Uh, so we see here Lydia, um, a, a, a slave girl who was uh, demon-possessed, who, who was cured, and then the jailer and his family. This, these are the members of the uh, church at Philippi, the Philippians. Uh, and I'm sure that by this time when this letter is being written, that church had grown and flourished and had many members. But we see here, uh, looking at those verses in Acts, uh, where that church formed. And so, as I said, this church had a special place in Paul's heart. And we'll look at that in a little bit uh, further as we go on. To give you some more background, I want us to look at the high-level sequence of events that are happening and uh, that come about for this letter being writ- written. Um, we have first that Paul is imprisoned, and so Paul is in, imprisoned, and and what we'll find is that Paul actually, uh, as a Roman citizen, he makes the case that, hey, I deserve to be, uh, you know, my time before Caesar, mm-hmm. right? Because it was every Roman citizen's, um, I guess, right that if they were in some type of legal issue, that they had right to take that right to the top of the Roman leadership. And so he had been moved from where he was imprisoned over to Rome, and so he was under house arrest and had a, a, a guard actually chained to him uh, 24-7, which we'll talk about that in a little bit more. So he's he's in house arrest. Yeah, and this 
this uh, time when he wrote this letter was 10 years, at least 10 years past, yep. when he founded the church and left. That's exactly right. So we're talking some sometime later here where he's uh, again on this house arrest. And so news that um, Paul is in, in prison and he's in Rome, it gets back to the church at, at Philippi. And so they, having, again, a reciprocal love for Paul, send one of their church leaders, um, Ephroditus, with um, a gift to give to Paul. And so they sent him over there to check on Paul. The purpose of his visit was kind of threefold. He wanted to deliver that check or deliver the financial gift. Um, I don't know if it was a check during those days, but he had some money that he was going to give to Paul. Um, And then he updated Paul on the status of the church and then expressed the love that the church at at Philippi had for Paul. Mm -hmm. And so in response, Paul says, well, I'm going to write a letter to the Philippians. And so he writes the the letter of two Philippians, which now becomes the book or the epistle of Paul uh, to the Philippians uh, that we're going to be studying today. And and we see that there's four kind of main purposes for this. Uh, he wanted to thank them. Uh, he wanted to update them on the ministry, to pastor them, and then to be an encouragement to to the church. And so that's, that's right. what we're going to see here in this, uh, this letter. Dad, one of the major themes, though, that we're going to be touching on throughout the book is joy. In fact, uh, the word joy or rejoice, I think, is used about 16 times in the book. And that's why we uh, entitled this series Rejoice Always, Mm -hmm. uh, because we're going to see that you know, Paul is in some pretty tough situations. Uh, he's right. got some pretty tough circumstances, but despite all of that, he manages to have joy, and he calls for those who are reading his letter to also have joy as well. And that's so we're right. going to be looking at joy as we study this. Hey, that's why Philippians, as I told you, is perhaps it, along with Ephesians, are perhaps my two most favorite books in the Bible. Yeah, yeah. They're, they're very, very good. Mm-hmm. Very good. And I'm, I'm growing to love them as a, as a study as well. And so this is going to be a great study. I think all of uh, all of us are going to get a lot out of it, both you and me, as well as our listeners, Dad. Mm-hmm. And so, um, again, I encourage you, as we're getting started into this, as this kind of first introductory episode, I encourage you to find someone to study with and uh, go ahead and get into the book of Philippians, start reading, and then listening into these, uh, these episodes, and then having those conversations with uh, that person as you kind of study together. So with that being said, Dad, let's go ahead and dive into our scripture today. For today's episode, we're going to be focusing in on uh, Philippians chapter 1, verses 1 through 11. So that's where our scripture is going to come from. We'll be focused in on verses 1 through 11. So if you got your Bible, let's go ahead and look um, at the first two verses. So in this letter, we have the greeting. And so we're going to see that in the first two verses here. And let's read that together. It says, Paul and Timothy, bondservants of Jesus Christ, To all the saints in Jesus Christ who are at Philippi, with the bishops and the deacons, grace to you and peace from God, from our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. So this is a kind of a typical greeting. Um, at that time, it was it was custom for a letter to start with who is writing the letter. And mm-hmm. so we see that Paul says that Paul, and he adds Timothy uh, mm-hmm. to the list. Now, we know from the rest of the context of the letter that Paul is the one writing it, but uh, he adds Timothy because Timothy actually is his ministry partner. We know that uh, Paul kind of referred to... Uh, 
uh, to Timothy as his his son in Christ, right? He That's was right. someone he was training and tooling uh, to be part of the ministry. And Timothy had a connection to the church at Philippi and ultimately would go there to minister later on. Mm-hmm. And so he added uh, Timothy there because of that connection right. uh, that was there. The other thing that I noticed uh, in this greeting is that uh, Paul refers to himself and Timothy as bond servants. Mm-hmm. And Dad, I was looking at that term bond servants, and it's got a, a host of meaning uh, to it. But the one that kind of stuck out to me most is that it means slave. And so Paul didn't identify himself as the Apostle Paul or Pastor Paul mm-hmm. or Church Leader Paul. Rather, he identified himself as a slave of Jesus Christ. That is, in saying that, Paul meant that he was inseparably connected to Christ, mm-hmm. and his whole identity was derived from the one to which he belonged, that being Jesus Christ. After identifying himself, Paul issues greetings, and he issues greetings in two forms. He says grace and peace, and that what I found interesting as I was studying is that a grace is the Gentile greeting, and peace was the traditional Jewish greeting. And so by using both, Paul welcomes both his Gentile and his Jewish believers that he's writing to there at the church at Philippi together as one in the body of Christ. Right. And so we have our greeting here, Paul writing the letter, he's saying who he is, that he's a bondservant, a slave of Christ, and then he sends that welcome again in a two-form fashion to both Gentiles and Jewish people, and that's how we see the opening of the letter. Mm -hmm. As we get deeper into the letter, uh, Dad, we see that this is kind of broken up into three pieces that we're going to put it in today, and the first set is, Paul says that he has the, the church at Philippi in his mind. And on his mind. And so we're going to look at verses three through six. And so let's read that together. It says, I think my God upon every remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine, making request for you all with joy for your fellowship in the gospel from the first day until now, being confident of this very thing that he who has begun a good work in you will complete it until the day Jesus Christ returns. And so that's verses three through six. And dad, as I was uh, kind of studying this, I picked out kind of the the key themes that occurred to me. And the first one that, that sticks out to me is gratitude. And, you know, Paul expressed his sincere thanks for the Philippians. And, you know, you have to think, well, what was Paul thankful for? Well, um, obviously, he had a love for the the Philippian church, and obviously, they had a reciprocal love for them. And so I think he was thankful for their love. He was thankful for their prayers and their support. Uh, right, their kindness and their effort. Now, what I, I did as I was studying is I learned that from Philippi to Rome, it's about 800 miles. Mm-hmm. All right. And so remember, this letter is being uh, written because he's thanking them for uh, caring about him and sending someone to check on him. They sent someone 800 miles. Now, yeah. in today's time, we can jump in a plane and we can cover 800 miles in a matter of an hour or two. Or we can get on a high-speed train, or even in your car, you can drive 800 miles you know, fairly uh, quickly within a day's time. Mm-hmm. But there were no planes, trains, or automobiles during that time. Right. And so you know, a journey of this distance took a lot of effort, a lot of time. And so I think he was thanking them for their effort, and then ultimately they brought a financial gift when they came, when Ephroditus came. And so he was thanking them for that financial gift. Yeah, well, you know, I also thought he was thankful for their initiative. The the scripture says that, uh, you know, he was uh, thankful for their fellowship and the gospel from the first day. They took initiative from the first day. Lydia did when she accepted Christ to invite him into her home. 
And then later after his imprisonment, where was the first place he went? To Lydia's home, you know. exactly. And they continued to minister. So he was thankful for their initiative and their persistence, he said, from the first day until now. And that kind of brings up what you're talking about, uh, the love that they showed him and and sending the gift. And, you know, sometimes it's, you know, or, or it's not just sometimes. The main thing, when people send me a card, maybe they might put a gift in that card, uh, some money, you know, show appreciation for a funeral or something that I preached. But you know what? Yeah, that's nice, uh, the money, that support. But uh, it is the sentiment that was written mm-hmm. in the card, their expression, their words of appreciation and thanks. That means far more to me yeah. than any monetary gift. Yeah. So the old adage of it's the thought that counts That's re- right. re- really comes into play here. And we have to think, you know, Paul is in prison, right? And he's in mm-hmm. prison in Rome. And so uh, just the thought that they you know, would think so highly of him to send someone to check on him, uh, that had to mean the world to him in terms of encouragement and just feeling like he's got love and support from them. And so you're right. It's the thought that counts. You know, one of these days, if the Lord allows you to outlive me, Matt, when I die, uh, when you look at my books in my library, you'll find in most every book a thank you card (laughs) because they mean that much to me. I keep them. Yeah. Yeah. I've heard you say before, you know, if you get cards for pastor appreciation or just, you know, uh, people sending you encouragement that you just stick those in in books uh, randomly, really. Um, and so as you're, you know, using a book and come across a card, you pull it out. It's a, a good uh, time just to kind of find a, a spur of the moment encouragement uh, mm-hmm. that someone wrote to you. And so that's that's, that's, right. that's great. I like that. That's, that's really great. But Dad, the other big theme that I see here in these opening verses um, is that Paul expresses joy, right? So we see that in verse four uh, is the first time we see the word joy used um, in the book. And so Paul says that every memory of them brings him joy and draws him to lift them up in prayer. Now, I want you to think about this. Uh, Paul, again, he's in prison, but so far in this letter, if you were just reading the letter and didn't know that he was in prison, you would have no idea that he was there. That's right. Right? I mean, he didn't open up the the letter with, woe is me, or you're not going to believe what's happened to me, or you know, uh, all of these bad things about my my circumstances. Mm-hmm. He opens up this letter with a greetings, and then he goes right into just thankfulness and for joy for knowing them. Um, you know, it, it, and it's, it's hard to think because when we just went through how the church at Philippi got started, uh, there were some tough times there, but even even though there were tough times, uh, he remembered the good things. He remembered the good things that happened to him and the good people that were there um, and how they brought so much joy to him. So uh, we see here, again, the first opportunity where even though Paul's circumstances uh, would be one that, you know, many people would say there's no reason for him to have joy. He's he's strapped to a, mm-hmm. a Roman guard under house arrest. Right. He still had joy regardless of his circumstances. That's right. That's right. Dad, the other thing that stood out to me here um, is uh, this term fellowship in the gospel. And and he says that he he has thankfulness for them and joy for them because of that fellowship in the gospel. And I was thinking about that and the meaning there. And, and you know, simply put, the word fellowship means to have in common. Mm-hmm. And so he's saying that they have something in common. And, and I was just thinking about um, fellowship and, and how that applies to life. And, and I have a, a non-Christian example that I'll, that I'll give, and then I'll give the Christian example. Mm-hmm. You know, you and I, we're both Clemson football fans, mm-hmm. right? Right. And uh, we, we like Clemson football, uh, Clemson athletics in general, basketball, even though they're not that good at that. Yeah. Um, I like watching Clemson baseball. They're doing pretty good this year. 
And what I found is, you know, when you and I go to a game, many of the times we don't know anybody sitting around us. Mm -hmm. But because we're all there with our orange on and pulling on the Clemson Tigers, there's a sense of fellowship among people that I don't even know. Right. Right. Because we have something in common together. And um, that's what causes you to jump up and, you know, turn around and slap a a stranger's hands and a high five when we score a goal. And I don't even know that person. Right. Right. But yet there's that sense of fellowship that you have because you have something in common. But Christian fellowship, Christian fellowship is so much more. Right. Mm -hmm. You know, Christian fellowship is based off the fact that we as Christians all have eternal life. We have that in common. Right. We're all God's children. We have that in common. And we are brothers and sisters in Christ. And that creates a bond. Dad, just the, it's been not too long ago, I guess a couple of weeks ago, I was um, on a meeting and I was having some conversation with someone who lives in a different part of the United States. I, I really know nothing about them, but it came out in our general conversations that that person was a believer. They believed in Jesus. They were Christian. Right. And immediately the fact that they were a Christian and they knew I was a Christian, there was a sense of fellowship there. That's right. It, it, it's amazing how it changes the dynamic of knowing that you guys are, are on the same team. You're, you're, you understand the, the, the same things. You you have the same beliefs, and you're brothers and sisters in Christ. There's right. something that, that ignites there. I find that interesting. The other Christian example I have is you know uh, mission trips. We go. I went on a Carpenters for Christ mission trip uh, back in 2019 before the world got turned upside down from, from coronavirus, and we went to Alaska. And the thing that I love about those mission trips is uh, there are people from all over that come to the mission trip, right? There's people mm-hmm. from different churches people from different states, uh, people that I don't even know. But once we get on that mission trip and we're all serving Christ and we all have one goal in Kapush, it's amazing the fellowship that we have with, again, someone that I've never known. Right. It's so close when you have a brother or sister in Christ that brings you together in this fellowship. And so I, I say all that to say that Paul had fellowship with the with these people. I mean, you talked about, uh, you know, Lydia invited him to his house just as soon as he got there, right? And right. I mean, this is a complete stranger, yet their fellowship in the gospel, their fellowship in Jesus Christ brought them together. And it's even with him being 800 miles away, he was still connected to them because of Jesus Christ. That's right. That's right. Well, when Paul thought of these Philippian Christians, as you said, he was thankful for so many things. He thanked God. And then he told these Philippian Christians that he was thankful uh, for them. Now, people need to hear that you appreciate them and thank God for them. I read a story in the Baptist Courier, that's the South Carolina Baptist uh, State Paper, about a man who was promoted to manager of a logging camp. Now, this man asked the former boss if he had power to hire and fire. And the former boss said, you want to fire Tony, don't you? The man said, yes, I do. Then the former boss said, now that you're in charge, you may fire Tony if you want. But I should tell you that he's one of your best workers. His group has the best record of any other group. You can fire Tony, but you'll fire one of the best. Well, the next day, the new manager called a meeting, told everyone he had been promoted and he could hire and fire. After the meeting was over, Tony went to the new boss and said, you're going to fire me, aren't you? His new boss said, well, I was going to, but your old boss said that you were wonderful. He said that you're the best worker that I have, so I'm not going to fire you. Tony wasn't prepared for this response, and the boss wasn't prepared for his reaction. Tony had a tear in his eye, and as he walked away, he mumbled, 
Why didn't he ever tell me that? Why didn't he ever tell me? Tony's life was changed that day. He eventually became president of one of the largest logging companies in America, and it all started the day he found out what the boss thought about him. Tony's boss learned a lesson that day, and the lesson he learned is that wonderful performance comes from people who believe someone appreciates them and thinks they are special. Now, since the church is meant to be a place of encouragement, I want to encourage you out there listening to this podcast to make it a practice to thank God for your fellow church members and then tell them you thank God for them. Paul thanked God for the Philippians, and he told them that he thanked God for them. That's exactly right. And that leads in well to kind of my next uh, thing that I saw here was the overall theme of encouragement. Right. Um, so verse six, he says, being confident of this very thing, uh, that he knew that though he who began a good work in them would continue that or complete that. And so Paul expressed encouragement and, and uh, encouraged the church by expressing his confidence in them. You know, it's always nice to hear a teacher, a coach, or in this case, a pastor uh, express confidence in you. It gives you great encouragement. And Paul tells the Philippians uh, that God is doing a great work in them and that he's going to complete it and it's going to continue until the day that Jesus returns. And then, so Paul was saying, in essence, in, in kind of layman's terms, he was telling them, you can do it. Don't give up. You're going to make it to the end. God is working in you and through you. So he wanted to encourage them not to give up the faith. Yeah, there's uh, there's. Three more things I want to point out from that verse that you read, that verse 6, where Paul said, being confident of this very thing that he who has begun a work in you will complete it until the day of Jesus Christ. Now, here's the three things. First, God takes the initiative in starting his work in you. He is the one who begins a good work in us. Salvation always begins with God. He makes the first move. And if he didn't make the first move, we would make we would make no move at all. Perhaps you've heard of the country preacher who was being examined for his ordination to the ministry. When asked how he had become a Christian, the preacher replied, I did my part and God did his. Well, that sounded questionable. So the learned brethren on the council asked the preacher to explain his part in salvation. My part was to run from God as fast as I could, the preacher answered. God's part was to run after me and to catch me and bring me into his family. And that's a perfectly biblical answer because all of us were born running from God. And unless God took the initiative to find us, we would still be running away from him. So first, God takes the initiative in starting the work in a person. And second, God takes responsibility for completing his work in you. God has a good work that he intends to use in your life and mine, and nothing will block him from achieving his purpose. God intends for all his children to be conformed to the image of Jesus Christ, and he will not rest until that good work is finally finished. We may not look like Jesus, but he's not finished with us yet. And since he's not finished yet, we have great hope for the future. Thank God I'm not what I used to be, and thank God I'm not all that I will be. Mm. God, he guarantees the outcome 
of the work is the third thing I want to tell you. He will carry it on to completion until that day when we see Christ face to face and we will become like him. Uh, Do you feel unfinished out there? Fear not. He will complete his work in you. That's that's awesome. Awesome points there. So we've looked at uh, first Paul says, I've got you on my mind. And we talked about all the things that we see here in those opening verses. The next thing we see is that Paul says, I have you in my heart. And let's look at verses seven and verse eight. So starting at verse seven, it says, just as it is right for me to think this of you all, because I have you in my heart, inasmuch as both in my chains and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel, you all are partakers with me of grace. For God is my witness, how greatly I long for you all with the affection of Jesus Christ. So we see here Paul expresses his sincere love for the Philippians. You know, it's one thing to have someone on your mind. It's another thing to have them in your heart. Hey, I want to say this. Uh, Sometimes uh, people would have to confess, I have you on my nerves. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, You know, I've said that a couple times myself. So, yes. Um, So he says, I got him. I can have you on my heart. And uh, Christians uh, have a love that is the tie that binds. And so Christian love is different than really any other type of love. And so Paul is saying again, I I love all of you there in Philippi. The question is, how does Paul then evidence his love for them? Well, the first thing and the most notable thing for these verses is that uh, his suffering uh, was on their behalf. Because Paul was Paul's trial was in Rome, uh, his Christianity and his stance uh, on his beliefs was going to get a fair hearing before the officials of Rome. And Philippi, being a Roman colony, that meant that the decision that was made there would affect the believers there. So he considered his difficult circumstances not to be something that he should be sad about, but it gave him joy because it was an opportunity for defending and confirming the gospel, and this ultimately would help brethren, not only in Philippi, but everywhere in in Rome. So, Dad, I see here that Paul practices love, and through love came more joy. And we know that those two are very commonly related. We see those are both fruits of the Spirit, mm-hmm. and they come from God and living in us is love and joy. And it seems the more you love, the more joy that you're going to have. That's right. That's right. Christian love is not something that we work up. It is something that God does in us and through us. Now, this same Paul wrote in Romans 5, 5, God has poured out his love into our hearts by the Holy Spirit whom he has given us. I want to give you a little illustration about how Christian love is not something that we have to work up, but is in us. Years ago, a man was found unconscious on the street and was brought to a private hospital for care. Upon regaining consciousness, he began to abuse everyone who came to his room to minister to him. Finally, only one nurse would go near this difficult patient. She alone endured the foul language, bathed him, changed the linens, and brought his meals. On a Friday, the nurse came early and told the patient she would be leaving to go on a retreat. She told him she would miss taking care of him over the weekend. The man explained that he would not be there when she returned. He was being taken to a charity hospital. He said to her, since this is goodbye, will you explain to me why you continue to take care of me despite my behavior and bad language when no one else bothered with me? 
And the nurse responded, I believe that God loves you and he may want to love you through me. That was the secret of Paul's love for the Philippians. It was not his love at all. It was the love of Christ flowing through him. Paul believed that Jesus Christ loved the Philippians and he wanted to love them through himself. Oh, that's good, Dad. So we've seen, again, I have you on my mind, and then Paul says, I have you in my heart. And again, that's that's two different things. Easy to have someone on your mind, but it's another thing to have them in your heart. And then lastly, we see here uh, in these last verses that we're going to cover today is that I have you in my prayers. Paul says, I have you in my prayers. And that's found in verses 9 through 11. So let's read that together. Starting at verse 9. In this, I pray that your love may have bound still more, and more in knowledge and all discernment, that you may approve things that are excellent, that you may be sincere and without offense till the day of Christ, being filled with the fruits of righteousness, which are by Jesus Christ, to the glory and the praise of God. So, Dad, as I was looking at this prayer um, Paul prays for for five things, and this prayer really was a prayer for uh, Christian maturity, spiritual maturity. Right? He was right. he was praying that they would continue on and that they would move past uh, where they where they are. And so, in this uh, in in this prayer, I see the first thing is that he prayed that they would love more. He, mm-hmm. It uses the term that love may abound, uh, mm-hmm. and that it would grow and that it would become more. And love is an important part of being a Christian, right? Mm-hmm. Um, the Bible says that, uh, that that we are known because of our love for one another. That's how Christians are differentiated from people in the world, because of the way that we love. The other thing that I noticed uh, with love more is First Peter uh, verses four through eight, or four verse eight, uh, says that above all things, have fervent love for one another, for the love will cover a multitude of sins. Mm -hmm. And I think that's a a good point there is that there's so many things when you think about the law, right? The Ten Commandments and all those that are listed there. If you have love, it's going to take care of most of those commandments. That's right. right? If you have love, you're not going to murder. If you have love, you're not going to steal. If you have love for another person, you're not going to commit adultery and so forth and so on. And so having an attitude and a spirit of love, love goes a long way. And it keeps keeps a lot of sin away by having love in your heart. Mm -hmm. The second thing that I saw here is that he prayed for growth and knowledge. And this was for them to know more of God and know more of his word, right? We all know that the Bible refers to Christians being initially babes in Christ. And the intent is that as a Christian goes throughout their life, uh, that they're growing up spiritually and they're becoming uh, more spiritually strong and they're understanding the things of God more and God's word more. And so Paul wants them to grow. Right. You know, mentioning about uh, grow in discernment, you know, that means being able to distinguish the things that differ. The ability to discern is a mark of maturity. To a baby, every four-legged animal is a bow-wow. And then as he grows, he discovers that there are cats, dogs, and cows. And so he wanted them, to, as you said, to grow, to learn, to be able to distinguish between those things that differ. That's exactly right. So number three, as, as you said there, Dad, is, is discern. He wanted them to grow in discerns and knowledge and discern discernment. And, um, you know, discernment is, is wisdom, right? He wanted them to be able to discern from things that are right versus wrong, mm-hmm. good versus evil. And then we see all throughout the New Testament um, this um, kind of call to understand truth from deception, 
right? Because there were plenty of false teachers that were out at, at this time. And I even think about in this particular time, you know, Paul was was the premier teacher, preacher of his time. Mm -hmm. And, you know, Paul didn't think much of himself because we already talked about he called himself, he's a slave. He didn't see himself as being of some high authority. Right. Right. Um, But people, other people who were around him took notice of, oh, Paul, Paul's name means a lot. Right. And so while Paul was in uh, in prison, there was a whole lot of people out there that was trying to get their name out. Mm -hmm. And they would try to to get uh, some of the, if you will, glory that that Paul had uh, from them. And many of them were were preaching a false doctrine. And so, again, that call for discernment was to understand truth from deception. Right. And that's something that we need to have today because there's a whole lot of deception still going on in our world. That's right. The next thing I see that he prayed for is that they would be sincere and without offense. Basically, he was praying that they would live pure and holy lives Mm -hmm. and that they would commit themselves to God and they would abstain from sin and that they would have a good, clean Christian character. Right. That's what his prayer was when he says sincere and offense. And then lastly, he says he wanted them to bear fruits. Now, he uses the term bear the fruits of righteousness, which are the fruits that come from living a righteous life. Right. Um, But I compare those closely to, obviously, the fruits of the Spirit, right? Mm -hmm. And what are those? Love, joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. And so, you know, as as a Christian... And as a Christian that's growing, you should be bearing fruit. You right. should be having something to show for your faith and, and your relationship with Christ. And so he was saying, I pray that you bear fruit. I pray that your branches are heavy right. with all the fruit that you're producing. And then the last closing statement there is because it brings glory and praise to God. That's that's the whole purpose. The mm-hmm. fruit is not so that you can say, look at all this fruit I got dangling off of me. That fruit is there to bear witness to who you are and whose you are right. and that you have God in you, and that brings him glory and that brings him honor. And so uh, Paul wanted to see those Christians in Philippi to be bearing fruit so that they're bringing glory to God. That's right. You know, he had them uh, in his prayers in the Old Testament The high priest wore a special garment called the ephod over his heart, and on it were twelve stones with the names of the twelve tribes of Israel on them, a jewel for each tribe. He carried the people on his heart in love, and that's what Paul did for these Philippian Christians. That's exactly right. Well, Dad, we're getting ready to to wrap this up, but as I was thinking about um, this, this opening verse, we very much see... Pastor Paul here, right? Mm -hmm. And Pastor Paul writing to a congregation that he used to be at. And I wonder just for a minute, can you talk to me as a pastor? You obviously can resonate with these these verses, right? Right, because you've been at a couple different churches throughout your ministry, and you have a people and, and congregations that are still that you're connected to. And I would think you have a lot of these same feelings sure. for them. And Man, this, yeah. these prayers would be the same prayers that you would pray for them even now. Talk about that, about how you view those past churches and how they bring you joy. That's right. Well, you know, I've been here for 20 years. And I love the people in this church, and and I appreciate them so much for loving me. And but now that I have been here, I think back about the churches, as you said, that I pastored in previous years. Uh, take for instance, before I came here, I was for seven years in Chester, and I think about those sweet people in Chester that you know just took us in and loved us. And you were a kid growing up there, yeah. And uh, you know, being a pastor's kid at Christmas time, man, you you'd get a, a, a haul. You get two Christmases. You'd get a Christmas before you got Christmas. That's People right. showed you so much love, and I just think about all those wonderful meals I had at the tables of some of those elderly saints that were like parents to us. Mm-hmm. I think back 
uh, uh, the church I pastored, North Carolina, it, it was a little bit more of a difficult ministry. But you know what? I have some of the the fondest memories of friends that stood with me uh, through trial and tribulation that stood with me. And I will never forget about them. I will never forget about them. I think about the last person that I baptized in that pastorate in North Carolina. Uh, he was already a Christian. He just wasn't a, a Baptist. And and he had resisted becoming a Baptist. I don't know why, but uh, his wife was. But then, you know, we met, we we forged a relationship, you know, that fellowship like you're talking about. And, and, uh, and he joined the church where I was pastoring. He was the last person I baptized. And, you know, I, I look back with such a smile on my face because he's been a Baptist preacher for 20 years. <laughs> you know, exactly now. Right. Yeah. he went into the ministry. Uh, I think about in that church in Chester, the previous one, Wayne McLeod and his conversion experience, yep. you know, how he came to know Christ and how God just totally changed this man's life. And he ended up serving on, you know, the, uh, the, the board at the state convention in South Carolina you know, the executive board. So, you know, I just have such joy when I think about these people. So I understand how Paul felt when he's looking back at his former pastorates. That's exactly right. And I, and I think, Dad, that your your prayer for those those former congregations is basically Paul's prayer, right? Right. You, you pray that they grow in love, they grow in knowledge, they grow in discernment, Yeah. that they would be sincere and without um, offense, and that they would bear fruit. And, you know, I, I found it interesting uh you were looking at the Facebook page for the church that you were at in Chester, Liberty Baptist Church, and and you were just so excited when you saw that it looked like the church was doing well, yeah, and that you see that they've got a you know a new new pastor there, um, and he's bringing in looks like new life. You were saying, man, I don't know any of the people that's right that are there, and you were excited for that, yeah. right? I mean, because as as a as a role as a pastor, what I've seen watching your ministry is. A pastorate involves blood, sweat, and tears. Mm-hmm. And with each pastorate, you leave a little bit of yourself there. Right. And uh, you want to see that place flourish. Just because you've gone on to another uh, another location, another church, doesn't mean that you don't love the people there and that you don't want to see that ministry move forward. That's right. And, and that's what I see here in Paul is, is that yeah. he was saying that he was praying uh, for them, these five things, that prayer of Christian maturity. And Dad, if I have to be honest, um, you know, these are the prayers that I have for our Bonefire listeners, our Bonefire mm-hmm. families. I, you know, I, I'd love for, for our listeners to love more, to, to grow more because they're listening and they're studying, uh, to grow in their discernment, understand what's true and what's not, because again, there's so much false teaching out there and around right. us today, and that they would live holy lives and they would take a higher stance and higher higher standing and that they would bear fruits. I mean, that's why we're doing this, is, right. is to help people grow. And, you know, I would have to be... Um, I have to be honest, you know, that the the whole reason that, that I came to you and I said I want to start Bonfire Ministries is because I wanted to reach the lost people. Mm-hmm. And this letter is very much written to Christians. It's written to a Christian church, um, and it has a application for Christians. But I think there's application here for lost people as well. Mm-hmm. I think about this letter uh, that we're going to be going into detail, and I would encourage you, if you don't know Jesus Christ, that you continue to listen to us because there's something here for you. It's full of joy. It's full of love. And if I think about the unbelieving world, it's a cold, dark place, and there's not a lot of joy, and there's not a lot of love there. That's right. You know, you can find happiness. There's plenty of happiness in a lost world. Mm -hmm. There's plenty of happiness out there in sin, but happiness is fleeting. It doesn't last. Mm -hmm. Joy is lasting. It doesn't matter what your circumstances is. You can still have joy and love. 
Well, love is what everybody wants. That's right. You know, unfortunately, uh, I hate to quote a country song, but I think it's a country song that says, uh, I've been looking for love in all the wrong places. And I feel like many lost people are out there. They're looking for love. They want it. Mm-hmm. But they're looking for it all in the wrong places. And That's if you right. stick with us in the study and you see what we go through and rejoice always, you're going to see that Christian love, the love of the Father toward us as children, and the love that we have for other believers, you're not going to find a love like that anywhere in this world. Mm-hmm. It doesn't exist outside of the church. And you're not going to find true joy in anything else except through uh, the love of Christ. That's right. Uh, no, no amount of money, no amount of vehicles, houses, wealth, fame, you name it, is not going to bring you uh, the joy that comes through knowing Christ and the fellowship that you have with your your father and your fellow believers. So that's my plug for non-Christians who may mm-hmm. be listening to us, is that love and joy, think about it. Do you have it? I know you want it. Um, so stick with us and listen through this and you, and we'll give you a good example here as we see this letter of what Christian life looks like. And we hope it appeals to you and we want to give you an invitation to come join us, be part of the family, um, be part of the, the children of God and, and the body of Christ. So dad, with that being said, um, I, I do want to have you pray us out of here Sure, and, uh, we'll see you next time. Okay. Our heavenly father, thank you. Oh God, for giving Matt, myself an opportunity Uh, to get this message out, Lord, from this wonderful book of Philippians. Father in heaven, I I pray that you would just please uh, touch people's hearts. Perhaps there's some, Lord, that have uh, fallen away from their church family. And I pray, oh God, that you would just help them to reflect upon the sweet people, Lord, that they've left, let alone, Lord, uh, falling away from the sweet fellowship they used to have with you, that they might want to return and, and come back, Lord, and regain, Lord, those things that they lost and be renewed spiritually. For those that are lost, that are listening to us, that don't have a relationship with Jesus, uh, just uh, help them to realize what Matt talked about, God. They're, they have a, a void and an emptiness in their heart. They have been looking for love in the wrong places, and love is found in knowing Jesus as personal Lord and Savior and being a part of His family. And I pray, God, that they'll come to know you. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Bonfire Podcast. We encourage you to subscribe wherever you stream your podcast content. Also, be sure to rate us on iTunes and Facebook so that others will know about the podcast. If you have a question that you'd like to see us address on an episode, feel free to email us at bonefireministries at gmail.com.